Welcome to this week's Treasury Career Corner podcast, where I interview Treasury professionals about their Treasury careers. Each and every week, I talk to Treasurers about how they built their careers, where they are now, and where they see both themselves and the Treasury profession going to next. This week's show, I'm joined by Ramon Tolk, the Senior Director of Treasury at Avery Dennison. Now, Avery Dennison are a global materials science and manufacturing company. Well, basically a world leader in labeling. So used by businesses to add branding to company to products such as drinks, food, personal care, pharmaceuticals. The company actually gets over 75% of its revenue from international customers. So a truly international group. But as always, I'll get Ramon to explain a bit more about the Avery Dennison business a bit further on in the show. Because as always... Whilst the company's massive, I don't want to focus so much on them. I want to focus on Ramon and his background. Now, we've known each other for many years, meeting at conferences. I've seen somebody speaking, which is really great. But, you know, I was going to take us back to the dim, distant past, Ramon, when you first ever started in finance and thought, ah, the world of treasury, that's for me. How did you first ever get involved in, well, finance and then treasury? And where did it all start for you back in the day? Well, it started already quite a long time ago, over 25 <laughs> years ago, when I started in, in auditing, actually. Okay. Uh, I started in auditing straight from high school, starting with, with one of the big four audit firms, Deloitte. And then uh, besides my work, I was doing my master's in economics and then became chartered accountant as well. And during my audit work, I, at some point, I was auditing quite a lot of housing associations. As you know, they are quite capital intensive. They have quite a large amount of, of loans outstanding. So I, I got more and more in discussions with uh, the, the finance directors, or some even had a separate person uh, doing the treasury for the housing association, talking about how they do this, how do they determine, for instance, the tenor of the loans, what, what to do with, uh, with, with the interest rate, fixing it, floating, what, what tenors for the interest. So uh, during my audit work, I got more and more in touch with, with the treasury side at my clients, which, which I found very interesting. And then after I graduated as chartered accountant, I was looking at, okay, what do I want to do next? And at that point in time, coincidentally, we acquired a small treasury boutique consulting firm within Deloitte. And I started having conversations with them. And, and then I switched to, to that part of the business and became a treasury consultant. That's how my career in treasury started. And with the switch from, as you say, capital intensive housing associations to then the transition, if you like, to commercial treasury, if you like, I know that housing associations have become far more commercially organized and things like that but obviously the reasons for doing things a lot of the time are different we work with a number of housing associations and they've said the reason for they want to make profit is not to give back to shareholders but the shareholders are actually their residents and their you know give back to the organization how did you find that transition into more commercial and then talk us through because you were then in that role for sort of seven years and running a team what was it like making that move well, at first, uh, I was more advising, let's say, treasury or housing associations on, on a variety of treasury topics, on treasury policies, but, but also sometimes with the local municipalities. But then within that treasury consulting firm, I was the only one with an audit background. And at that point in time, IFRS and Cyrus Oxley became, let's say, important topics for quite a lot of uh, companies. And with my, my audit background, I started developing interest in, in that area, 
of course, the, the hedge accounting was a topic that a lot of companies were dealing with and were having challenges with how to, to do that. And then for companies that had a listing in the US as well, which had to comply with Sarbanes Oxley, they, they had to set up the whole Sarbanes Oxley treasury control frameworks. And I was helping out these kind of companies. And in these kind of activities, my, my auditing background came as a, as a huge plus because I, I was also understanding, let's say, the, the, the views of the ways the, the people were dealing with things like control, with financial reporting. I was able to, to sort of bridge the gap between financial controllers and the treasury folks in those companies. I mean, the translator, as you were, that's what I've heard actually a couple of times. People have said, a lot of the time, people say, oh, you're the auditor, you know, the big bad stick and stuff. And they said, actually, no, it's much more, they sort of translate the business needs with the treasury needs and, and sort of sit in the middle sort of thing. Was that, was that the sort of role, do you think? Yeah, no, that's, that's exactly correct. Yes. Yeah. But then the, so you were there, you're doing that and you're sort of leading a team. Again, you're in consulting. People sort of say, you know, well, consulting it's about going in giving some advice walking out the door and things like that or you know how did you find that consulting environment and maybe also sometimes you have a sales aspect to it as well how did you balance those off with the sort of core treasury stuff no that that became more and more difficult i would say i mean of course as a professional you always want to be involved in in the content and and of course in such a role sales is part of it but what I did find at that point in time in uh, being in a big four audit firm is that the, yeah, the the regulatory framework of what you can do or can't do as a consultant got more and more limited. And, and indeed, as you said, like as a consultant, you're always uh, you're, you're with the client, you, you provide your advice, but then uh, b- before they get to implement the advice, you're already uh, out of the door onto your next client. Yeah. Yeah, which is something I was missing that you really become part of, let's say, structuring the solution really end to end. So that that's what was one of the main reasons why at some point I decided that I wanted to switch to the corporate side. Right. And how did you make that move or what then happened? So I went to a company called Numico, which, which was a Dutch listed company for baby and medical nutrition. Okay and joined their team as a treasury accountant. And then a couple of months after I joined, there was a press announcement that uh, Danone, the, the French uh, food company, acquired uh, Numico. So, uh, and of course, that was also an interesting period because besides being responsible for the accounting of the treasury entity, we also were responsible for the accounting of a couple of holding entities. So as you can imagine, there was let's say, a huge change in Let's say the, the financial flows throughout the company with all of the stock options being exercised. We had a convertible bond that had to be was being exercised. And to manage all of that from an accounting and cash flow perspective was was an interesting exercise. Yeah. But but then thereafter, yeah, of course, Danone had a huge uh, treasury team in, in France, in Paris. So basically the, the treasury activities in the Netherlands got uh, dismantled and I was went out to search for new opportunities in my career. Okay. And you made the move and you were looking around for a couple of different things. I know you did some consultancy for different companies and things. And then Vimplecom came along. Is that the right way to describe it? Yeah, yeah, indeed. And the, the Vimplecom journey was, was a very interesting one. Well, talk us through that. So, you you know, it's, again, for the people that don't know it outside of the company, we got a lot of listeners, West Coast USA, and they're like, Vim, Vimple who? <laughs> um, so maybe, maybe explain them and how then that sort of filtered into treasury and how you joined 
Sure. So Simplecom is a mobile telecom operator and they were fo focusing mostly on emerging market countries. So by that time, they just had moved their headquarters uh, to the Netherlands after a merger of let's say, the old Simplecom, which was predominantly Russia-based with presence in some of the other former Soviet republics like Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, Georgia, to name a few. And then they had merged with Kievstar in Ukraine. And right after that, they did a huge acquisition with what, what by that time was called Oroscom Telecom, which had presence in Egypt, in Algeria, Pakistan, Bangladesh. And they also had a huge stake in wind in Italy. And so when I joined the company, it was a newly formed position of uh, Treasury Controller. At that point in time, headquarters was just being pulled together. We were with about 100 people, which grew to about 140 initially. And basically, you get to set up Treasury Control from scratch because it was a newly formed position, while still managing, let's say, a company of, well, by then we had about 20 billion of revenues, I believe. Yeah. So it was a, a huge company, also a very complex company with complex ownership structure because of that Oroscom Telecom holding entity. We, we didn't own 100% of the shares, but only some 52%, I believe. And then with wind in Italy because of high leverage, it, it was ring fans, so that got special treatment uh, as well. And then, of course, the, the complexity that all the emerging market countries bring. So that put, uh, put quite some challenges on us as a team. And what about you, as, a, as you say, within Treasury, when you're dealing with all those emerging markets and you know, people sometimes say, well, my, my job in Treasury, I just look after the money, help to look after this and everything else. But how did it sort of cascade into your role? How did you, you know, have to deal with emerging markets? I deal with a couple of companies which we're currently recruiting for at the moment, and they focus on emerging markets. And you know, people have sort of said, look, a lot of the time, you know, let's take an example. People have said about Brexit and everything else. And they say, oh, no, that's an orderly exit. We don't mind about that. It's a planned time frame. It's easy. So we're dealing in some countries in Africa that will devalue their currency overnight by 20%. That's my issue. You know, it's not the day-to-day -day stuff within Western Europe. It's perhaps the you know, more out there companies that are, you know, throwing the challenges up. How did you deal with that within Treasury? What, you know, what was the, did you find yourself affected by it? Or, you know, you just try to manage it? So because of the structure of the company and, and the way it was organized, the company was quite decentralized. So in each and every uh, country, we, we did have a couple of people dealing with treasury, which was mostly, let's say, the local operational treasury. And, and in those countries, we really felt that we needed to have people on the ground dealing with that. Also, each or most of those companies, the business units, they had to, to some extent an own debt portfolio to manage because that was, in, in that case, for, for most of those countries, the only way uh, you could you could have some debt in local currency to, to sort of balance the, the FX risk that you are facing when you're investing in these emerging market countries. Uh, so in, in that sense, let's say for, from our perspective, from the headquarters, it was just being able to give them strategic advice, give them directions on how to do this, make clear what uh, treasury policy are. We got them uh, all included in one treasury management system that we implemented back then, which helped us a lot to, to gain insight in their actual positions and, and get efficiency in place from a reporting perspective. But then you, uh, sorry, and then also the company, although it was listed, you said that it sort of 
had some different elements to it in terms of equity investment. So it was quite an exciting period for yourself and your career. Again, maybe for the audience, explain why that was so so much fun. You know, why was that interesting to you as a treasury guy in a company that, you know, was a listed PLC? So it's just yeah. boring, turn the handle. But instead you said, no, it's actually incredible stuff. And you were doing lots of activities that perhaps people wouldn't get to do. Maybe talk us through that part of the journey as well, if you would. So the ownership of the company was, there was only about 10 to 20% free float of the company. And the majority of the shares were owned by a Russian investor. And then the other part, about 30%, maybe a bit more, was owned by Telenor, the Norwegian telecom operator. So that gave, let's say, quite interesting dynamic at, at that level. And it basically meant that with these people being involved in shareholders and as well in, in the supervisory board, that uh, the, the company, although of course the, the primary business was telecom, it, it was managed sort of as a private equity firm. There's a clear presence from, from the shareholders, clear directions on whether they want to go. And sometimes that, that also caused I said, challenges because at one point you were thinking like, okay, they probably will go left and then they went right. And so that, that also made, that made, made life in treasury uh, very interesting because you had to deal with, uh, with these uh, dynamics. And yeah, that was, was an interesting period of time. And when you said you had to deal with them in treasury, again, people are saying, well, you know, what challenges did it throw to you guys? What were the, and how did you deal with them? You know, was it about the sort of entrepreneurial side of things versus PLC and reporting or you know, what was the uh, impact? There was a continuous focus on cost of financing. Fimpercom as a group was quite high leveraged. So there was always that gives a specific dynamic. You always had to monitor your confidence very tightly. And especially with some of these currencies making or depreciating quite rapidly at some point in time. Yeah, really put us to sort of the, the stress levels of, uh, of what the confidence would allow. So that also brought, from a trash perspective, a lot of focus on, on the corporate finance side. Uh, we, we had to restructure quite frequently uh, debt elements of, of our balance sheet. So we have done several bond restructuring exercises, also with revolvers, revolver credit facilities involved. Uh, and at some point, we also got to sell a part of our business in Algeria to the Algerian government. As a result of which, we got about uh, four billion of sale proceeds uh, in our bank accounts, which we had to find and uh, let's say a good application for. So, and and that was applied partly by just repaying some debt elements, but yeah. also doing a tender for a part of the bonds that we had outstanding. So, uh, at some point within Treasury, jokingly we were saying like, this is not a telecom operator, this is a, a corporate finance house with uh, a bit of uh, telecom presence. <laughs> Telecoms added in, sort of thing. And and again, if there are other people out there, you know operating those corporate finance houses with a bit of telecoms or a bit of this product in it you know in treasury how, how did you you know what was the attitude of the treasury guys how do you face that sort of every day do you get involved in like yeah come on we're a corporate finance house or what do you tell the guys in treasury when you're leading them and things like that to focus on what's the you know what do they get out of it as it were well, for the people in the treasury department, of course, everyone involved within the treasury team got very excited by all of the activities that were, were going on and the huge responsibilities that were put on us to manage this uh, in, in the right way. So we, so every day it was uh, getting in early, rolling up the sleeves and putting in a lot of hard work to get things done. And 
besides all of these activities, you still wanted to look at other elements of treasury as well, where you are looking for uh, improving the way you do your work, improving the, the way you uh, use your TMS, get more uh, automation in place, uh, looking for other opportunities like ethics strategies that you may want to uh, to improve. And besides all of these interesting corporate finance things that you could work on, there, there were also other elements we still wanted to focus on as well and, and also where we want to improve. Yeah. And then how did your time with those guys sort of finish up? Because then you made a move to, as we said at the beginning, you explain Avery Dennison for some of the listeners, if you would. But, you know, how did that sort of time, you know, wind up? Because you were there for sort of four years or so, four or five years. So, you know, give us the whistle-stop tour into the role at Avery Dennison. Well, I've, I've been with, with Simplecom for about five years indeed. Yeah, uh, yeah. So by that time, I said, like, okay, this was enough. I've seen so much. I've done so many interesting things, but but still, now it's time to to look ahead and see what other companies are out there with challenging, interesting, or trashy environment. And then I got in touch with with Avery Dennison. And yeah, also Avery Dennison is a very interesting company. Maybe not so much on the corporate finance side, that is... Uh, quite steady, but more on the treasury operational side where we get to improve a lot of things. So treasury within Avidensen is set up in three regional treasuries. So we have a treasury team in the US taking care of the Americas. We have a treasury team in in Hong Kong taking care of Asia-Pacific. And my team here in the Netherlands takes care of EMEA. But besides the responsibility for treasury for EMEA, there are also several activities centralized in my team. So we do everything FX-related, which initially was only the transaction execution part, but now more the end-to-end process we do out of my team. We do all of the intercompany loans within my team, which makes sense because most of those loans flow through Dutch holding companies or through the Dutch treasury entity anyway. And then also the responsibility for the treasury management system is uh, is embedded in my team. And being in, in three different regions, we, we still operate really as one team where we have very regular calls with our group treasurer who's based in the Americas with all of the three treasury leads to look as well at what do we want to do at the global level? Uh, where can we let's say, better partner with our business provide solutions for them, for instance, on working capital improvements, but also where can we contribute to being cost effective. And one of the things we did last year was we we went out for a tender with our global cash management, which project I got to lead. And now at the start of the year, let's say the allocation was decided upon, and we are now going through the implementation part of that project which is a huge project because we have selected various banks in various geographies. So yeah, to, to manage all of that, it, it is basically not one big project. It's actually a multitude of projects that we're going through, moving from one bank to another bank, enhancing our cash pool structures, and, and also setting up interest optimization, especially in, in the Asia-Pacific countries where we have idle cash that you cannot always freely transfer out of the countries. That, that brings huge benefits to the companies from a cost and savings perspective. And Roman, you know, a lot of the time, you know, again, some of the listeners, you know, in, in UK and Europe, it tends to be sort of treasury analyst managers coming up the curve and things like that. But I've definitely heard from our US listenership, a lot of those are US treasurers and actually want to hear other people's war stories and how they've dealt with different things. And 
their approaches to different things like this, this sort of working capital project and things. So how do you project plan that? Do you, you said there's you know, sort of a series of different projects within this one overall project. Are you using project planning tools or how are you structuring each of these? Is there specific tips you might give to people? How you're, What's the reason for doing what's the nugget if you like and how do you deal with each of these or is it just try and cope with all of them at once how do you do it we, we do use project planning tools we, we have well our, our company uses all the the google functionalities as much as possible so we use smartsheet as a solution to i said to, to be able to create a, a gantt chart for all of the i said the project steps that we have and and then we have one person in the team who is really managing that gun chart, following up with the, the, the relevant people involved on uh, actions that are due or getting due close time. Yeah, and, and then there's a lot of interaction. It, it is, with, with this project, it is really sometimes difficult because there are so many areas that are developing all at the same time. So you can't do it all on your own. You really have to rely on, on the team that, is, that you're working with. And so we have, let's say, for, for the implementation of the cash management in A-specific, I'm closely working with the, my A-specific colleagues. And, of course, at the other side of the pond uh, with my colleagues in, in the U.S., and how do you manage workload? Because obviously this is on top of your day-to-day jobs as well. Or do you, you know, put some of that, try and automate some of that so that it gives you gaps in your day where you can actually approach this? Or how do you balance the two? Because obviously you've got a team to run. They're really busy doing the day-to-day dealing. They're doing other things as well. And yet then this project comes along. And you're just saying, right, guys, you're just going to have to work another three hours a day or how do you balance that out? Yeah, no, uh, sometimes you, you do have to put in the three extra hours a day yeah. to, to get uh, things done. That's, that's quite obvious. And I think everyone yeah. every now and then has that, which is okay, uh, of course, if, if it is for a certain Temporary. period of time yeah. and not continuously every day throughout the year. Well, the, the way we are set, we, we do tend to have uh, focused on some of the, let's say, getting some efficiencies on board at an earlier stage so that we we're able to free up time from people to be able to to put in the extra hours on these kind of activities. And then to to some extent, we always had part of the the day job was already project related. So then it is more, let's say, shifting from one project to another project. So let's say globally, we are in treasury within Avedenison with 16 people. So I would say maybe if you really look only at the Let's say the, the operational activities we, have, we could do maybe with, with 12 people. So basically, on average, we, we probably have four people available to focus on all kind of project-related work. And of course, they, these are not four people, let's say, uh, separate persons. It just allocates basically yeah, allocates uh, one-fourth one of, of one person's uh, time to, to yeah. projects. and. Okay. For one person, it might be a bit higher. Another person might be a bit lower. But you also want to have flexibility within the team so that uh, if, if uh, one person at some point does have time, that you're able to switch to another person to, to help out on the projects and, and thereby rebalancing the activities. And I persuaded, cajoled, or nudged Ramon hard enough when we recently met at the Group Treasures Exchange in Germany. Great event. Really enjoyed it. Caught some great people, including Ramon. And one of the key things we did was I talked to him and said, please come on the podcast, which I'm glad he's done today. But I noticed within your your background, you, you tend to talk at a lot of these 
conference. There's a lot of people, oh, do I have to talk at another conference? <laughs> Whereas you seem to embrace it much more. What sort of topics do you go out there and talk about? And why do you think it's important perhaps to put yourself out there and get on stage? Because, you know, I know first Hanks, I've known him for a number of years. He's not like this publicity hungry machine that, that I am, you know, but going round, I'm joking. I'm not. I just do it because I love talking to new treasury guys. But, but joking aside, why do you put yourself out there? Why do you think it's important? I always like it. Of course, at one point, it's sort of being proud of the things you have done with your team at the company that you want to share with the audience because you think it's, it could be of interest to, to them. And I think that's really the, the main thing, sharing knowledge. And that's also what, what I do like if I go to a conference as a visitor. Yeah. Then you, you want to hear from other treasury folks, like, hey, what are they busy with? What, what are they doing? What, what are developments that, that you see that other treasuries are working on? And because it, it may give you good ideas on hey, what maybe your next project will be on the horizon. And, and that's why I also like to share my knowledge with the audience. And uh, over time, I've done presentations on, on a variety of topics, on the uh, treasury management system, on the, let's say the business intelligence reporting layer that we had developed uh, around that in my previous company, on FX risk management. So that was, for instance, on uh, at Group Treasures Exchange. I was leading a, a roundtable discussion on the balance sheet hatching that we do, which was always 100% hatching all of the balance sheet exposures. And now we have applied a value at risk, uh, efficient frontier methodology that drives the hatching ratios that we that we do, which allows us to save on, on the forward points without taking additional or, or significant additional risk. In, in the past, I've also done presentations on the, the intercompany capital structure that we have, where we have been working on a reduction of our intercompany loans. So about three years ago, we had intercompany loan portfolio in excess of about 21 billion US dollar, more than three times our total revenues. And over time, we have brought it down to below 10 billion. And that's, that was also, uh, let's say, a very interesting multi-year project where we had to closely cooperate with, with tax. So, yeah, these are projects that you have worked on, w- what you're very proud of, and you want to share with, with the audience and, and give them tips and tricks on how to deal with, with these kind of projects. Yeah, with your peers. And, and as we approach the end of today's show because we we try and keep this to half an hour i know that we you and i could talk for hours and we do at conferences (laughs) and things like that but you know with you with yourself you know where do you see then your front end you're meeting lots of these people at these conferences and other places but where do you see the the future of treasury and we're not just talking automation you know there's all those different things but there's there's people you know there's everything else involved what are you seeing as the the key facets before we give your top tips for treasury guys but you know with yourself where do you see you know treasury going to what's the evolution of treasury for you if you like well, I, I do see still, let's say, a big move towards automation. Uh, so, of course, everyone these days is talking about uh, robotics and so on. And you know, I do believe that will help in getting rid of uh, the, the repetitive activities that still maybe uh, every treasury department has. No, no doubt we still have within our team and some area that we are uh, looking into. And uh, you, you always want to look at these kind of things so that you can automate as much as possible, get efficiencies in your treasury processes 
so that you can free up the time for the, the, the more strategic work. And that's where you still need to have your, your treasury professionals, the team, to, to work on business partnering with, uh, with, with the business teams, getting a good understanding of what they are working on and, and then translate that to uh, how could it impact our treasury department, the treasury activities that we have to do, what, what kind of support would they need from a treasury perspective and and that's of course still a, a people's business and there therefore it is very important that you have to have good qualified treasury professionals uh, in your team so uh, i would say automation is there but but it won't definitely won't wipe out let's say the need for treasury professionals that's still very much needed and will require a higher level of treasury professionals yeah. more at strategic level. And I agree. And this is one of the things that I think a lot of people made a mistake over the past few days, when the past few years rather, when they sort of said, oh, the, you know, it's going to repl- robots replace jobs. They don't. They make jobs more interesting. They supplement the work. To me, you'll be able to spend more time doing the higher level activity. You know, the junior stuff, the, you know, the junior activity, the stuff that's really, you know, repetitive, boring. Yeah, that gets rid of it because it's boring. You know, so it's, as you say, it's sort of the, the future is, is is getting rid of the boring stuff. Indeed, know? indeed. And so, you know, as we come towards the end of today's show, as always, we'll put Ramon's details in the show notes. You can connect him on LinkedIn if it's good to have as part of the Treasury Network. But just with yourself, what, what are the things, you know, looking back and, you know, maybe looking back to the past the present and the future and your career if someone says actually that's great you know the Wimplecom experience more recently and then Avery Dennison and I'd like to you know replicate that what would you sort of suggest to them or what, what are the tips that you would give to people you know maybe that you've given it at speeches and things like that to say look this is what you guys need to do now, what, what, what I believe, what, what always is important is that you keep, let's say, a broad scope. I, I've seen in the past treasuries that really operate sort of from an ivory tower, and, and that's not what, uh, what, what you should be doing as treasury. Uh, go out to, uh, to your business partners, get to understand what, what keeps them awake at night, and try to think like, okay, what can we do to, let's say, to deal with that, to help them out? And so, so you really have to have a proactive mindset. And I would say another important element is that you continuously have to look for, for ways to improve, whether it's your, your, your own work, the systems you operate with, the way maybe the team is structured. There's always elements that you can improve, and, and that's what you should be looking for. I believe for me, if, if I look back at myself, that, that has helped me throughout my career hugely. Because already as an as an auditor, by still being studying for for to become a chartered accountant, I was taking on everything that I learned during the studies and right at that point in time already see how I can let's say incorporate that knowledge into the work I'm doing and also later in the year when when I was in treasury, all the knowledge you obtained through conferences and so on through literature through your studies, directly try to translate that in. How can I use this knowledge to improve my work, the team I'm working in? I think that's that's very helpful. Yeah, bring it to bear sort of thing. Well, amazing to chat this early. I mean, this is we're doing this early on a Monday morning, so thank you for your time. And you, you, you'd had your first strong coffee, and I'd done the same. So, Roman, it was great to chat. I'm looking forward to seeing some of the other conferences that we'll be doing. Thank you very much for your time today. And, uh, guys, if you want to connect with him, you'll have his details in the show notes. Connect with Ramon and great guy to have in your network and look forward to seeing you at the next conference or two. Oh, thanks for having me. Thanks, sir.